What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 22 of Preloaded. My name is Josh Finderup, and I am joined, as always, by the other half of Preloaded, Jackson Vanover. What's up this week, Jackson? Not much, Josh. Uh, just picking up Hitman 3, really loving that game, but I'm excited to dive into all the fun news we're getting early in the year. Yeah, it actually was a bit of a slower news week, and I think a lot of that has to do with what's going on here in the States with the inauguration and the holiday we had. But we did get some news from Ninja Theory about their latest or you know future project, I should say, Project Mara. We got some interesting Sony first-party news, and there is the cyberpunk drama that kind of started to unfold last week or continue to unfold, I should say, and that is going to uh, fuel our deep-dive discussion this week about whether companies are beginning to maybe ethically or, or cross the lines of how to ethically market a game. Uh, so we're going to have a really interesting discussion about that. you want to stay tuned. And I also want to mention that we, Jackson and I, are continuing to evolve the show, evolve preloaded. And so just stay tuned for some changes that are going to be happening uh, structurally to, to make the show hopefully more interesting and uh, a bit tighter. Uh, we just want to give you a heads up that it's uh, the format is is likely not going to stay the same as we move forward. We're going to be experimenting, and uh, yeah, I don't want to uh, spoil it too much. Um, I don't know if you had anything to add there, Jackson. Uh, no, yeah, just that we want to make a better show, and we think this is the best way to do that. Yeah, so again, we've got a great show for you, and we do have some housekeeping. Preloaded posts every Friday. We post over on our YouTube channels. Uh, I am Quest Mode on YouTube. Uh, and Jackson is J-V-J-A-Y-V-E-E. So if you like to watch, you can check it out there. If you prefer to listen, you can catch Preloaded over on uh, the audio platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, if you are listening on any of those platforms, we'd love for you to leave a review. Uh, leave either a five-star review, uh, which just takes a quick second, or if you're feeling generous, uh, leave a written review to let people know why you enjoy listening. You can also write into Preloaded at the email address preloadedpodcast at gmail.com and we welcome all of your comments and your feedback uh, but we'd love to get your questions. Every week we dig into our mailbag uh, typically at the end of the show and discuss one of your questions. So if there's anything you want to hear us talk about next week, uh, write us. Again, it's preloadedpodcast at gmail.com and we read all of your messages. We'll definitely look forward to hearing from you. And speaking of questions, we are going to kick things off as we always do with our segment, Who the Hell Are These Guys? This is where Jackson and I answer a question about our gaming history, our gaming preferences to help you, the audience, get to know us better. And this week we're asking the question, which older game mechanic or game genre that maybe isn't getting as much love nowadays uh, in the 2020s uh, would you like to see make a comeback, Jackson? So for me, Josh, uh, I actually had a few ideas, but I just settled on this one. I'm going to call it kind of the cartoony action-adventure platformer. And specifically, I'm talking about the Ratchet and Clanks, the Jack and Daxters, and the Sly Coopers. Those kinds of games, we're still seeing them. We're getting a new Ratchet and Clank, but a lot of those devs have moved on. They're making Spider-Man. They're making I mean, Crash Bandicoot is also in that that realm in that uh, conversation. You know, Naughty Dog moved on to a more serious kind of game. I just want those kinds of games to be given the AAA treatment that they used to get. 
Nice. Yeah, I miss those games too. Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie yeah. are some of my favorite games. Uh, I'd love to see that franchise make a, a true-to-form return. So, great answer. For me, it's... Um, I, I hope I'm not sounding like a broken record at this point, but uh, going to back to Tomb Raider... Uh, to anyone who played the original Tomb Raider games, they're very different from the new Tomb Raider games. They're much more uh, solitary experiences where you're just roaming these huge cavernous tombs alone. There are not a lot of enemies, but there are a lot of puzzles to solve. And I miss that, where you're just these really exploration-focused games. They're, they're called action adventures, but I feel like they're much heavier on the adventure side than the action side. Um, and there are some games that are are like that nowadays, but not nearly what they're uh, what they used to be. Legacy of Cain, Soul Reaver. That's another series that fits into that uh, mold. That I'd love to see that series make a comeback. Awesome! I would love to see those too. Yeah. So, anyways, that is our opening segment. We're now going to move on to out this week. Every week, we look at the games that uh, are coming out the week following when we post. So the following Monday through Friday, and Still relatively quiet, but there are two games that we think you should have your eye on. One you probably already do, but there is one that's kind of gone under the radar a little bit called Cyber Shadow. This is a 2D uh, Ninja Gaiden-esque platformer that looks very retro. It's uh, either developed or published by Yacht Club Games, who's the studio behind Shovel Knight. So that immediately kind of gives it some some clout. Uh, and this comes out for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC on Tuesday, January 20th. Definitely keep your eye on the reviews when those start to pop. And then the medium. Uh, you're probably already aware this is an Xbox Series X and S and PC exclusive. So this is uh, one of the first, if not, no, the, one of the first really truly next-gen exclusives that we're getting. Uh, it comes out Thursday, January 28th. Again, this is the uh, uh, survival horror game that is inspired by Silent Hill and uh, where you kind of swap between uh, realities uh, that are you know, being rendered simultaneously, which is very interesting. Yeah, that game looks fantastic um, to me. I still struggle to find the time to play um, these smaller games unless they like really interest me. Um, but this being the first true next gen title, like you said, yeah, instantly has me interested. Yeah, I will be playing the medium and I will be playing Cyber Shadow if it ends up reviewing well. Uh, but the medium is a, a definitely a day one play for me i'd say day one buy but it's uh it's on game pass so if you have game pass ah, you're good to go totally forgot about that yeah i'm, yeah. I'm gonna check this out cool so with that we're gonna move on to our review roundup uh after we look at the games coming out we look back at the week prior to see what uh game reviews are coming out and how they're performing on open critic and the only game uh, of note that uh had reviews this week is uh the big one hitman 3 the first real big release of the year and it's reviewing excellent. Uh, got a 86% top critic rating, and 96% of those who review it are recommending it. Um, what are you, You've, I think, put far more time into this game than I have, Jackson. What are your thoughts? Yes, I managed to snag a review copy, and um, I've not put a ton of time into it, but enough to, I think, kind of understand what the third one is doing compared to the first and second, because they are very similar. But uh, generally speaking... Yeah, a lot of the reviews that I've read and the reception out there is that this is a perfect game to hop into, even though it's the third in the trilogy, but they also appreciate just how, you know, IO sticks to the formula that works clearly um, for the last two games, but managed to push it just a bit further 
and reward those people that are really paying attention to this trilogy for the story. Nice. Yeah, I have uh, some questions about it, but I'll wait till we get to our uh, what we're playing segment at the end of the podcast to ask. I'm very curious about this game. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great one. I'll be downloading it immediately after this show. We're recording the day that the, <laughs> the game launches, and I haven't played it at all. So anyways, that is uh, our opening section. We're now going to take a break, a quick break, and we're going to get uh, back with the week in previews where we talk about all the news of the week. We'll be right back. And we're back. We are now going to dig into the week in previews where Jackson and I look at the biggest headlines of the week regarding the games that are coming out in the near and sometimes not too near future, which is the case with this first story that we've got this week. So the week kicked off with Ninja Theory, uh, who was purchased by Microsoft. They're one of their first party studios now, released a new video about their upcoming project, Project Mara. This is totally separate from Hellblade 2. This is kind of a uh, psychological thriller. I think that's pretty much all we know about it or knew about it before this uh, video popped. But it's this uh, almost like a tech demo that shows the apartment that this game will take place in. And apparently the entire demo or the entire game is going to take place in this apartment. And what makes it interesting and special is that they have rebuilt this apartment to be photorealistic. It's not like more or less photorealistic. It is photorealistic. It looks really incredible. And they've just put a lot of effort into photographing certain textures. It's a real apartment that they recreated. And they went in there and they they photographed all the textures and surfaces and then recreated them almost down to like a microscopic level. And they also scanned the apartment using this interesting technology so they could get the proportions exactly right. Uh, so if you haven't seen this video, definitely go check it out. It's pretty incredible. Did you get a chance to see it, Jackson? I did. Um, this was incredible. Like you said, it, it blew my mind. Uh, it made me kind of think about what we could be seeing in, you know, a dozen years in video games. Um, I don't think this is going to be a process that a lot of people adopt because I don't think everyone wants to have a one-to-one representation of reality. Yeah. But at the same time, I like tech that pushes the boundary is always interesting to me, even if it is trying to mirror reality. So I thought this was fascinating. And really, if you are someone who appreciates like pushing the boundaries of what video games can do, absolutely check this out and keep it on your radar. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting to see when they reveal, uh, you know, character models in this game, how how they look as, you know, compared to the the environment because, and maybe they, maybe they won't be, maybe the game will take an, place entirely in the first person and you won't see anybody else but uh, i'm very excited to see what what it looks like me too and like you said ninja theory was bought by microsoft so this definitely seems like an example of ninja theory reaching into those deep pockets yeah uh that they now have and you know pushing the boundaries it's awesome yep yeah very cool so again check that out uh i think all the major gaming sites have it it's also i mean it's posted on youtube too so if you just search ninja theory project mara you'll you'll find it uh Our next story has to do with the other uh, first-party group of studios. Sony uh, has announced, or I guess it was kind of roundabout discovered maybe, that Sony has created a new team in San Diego. Now, this is different from Sony Santa Monica, I think, or not Sony Santa Monica, Sony San Diego who works on MLB The Show. This is different from that studio. It's a new team, and it was revealed uh, that they are... This new studio that Sony has developed is working on existing franchises. 
So I'm just going to read this straight from the doc. PlayStation has created a new San Diego-based studio that's working to, quote, expand upon existing franchises. This is according to the LinkedIn profile of the studio's former head, Michael Mumbauer, who worked at PlayStation as studio head until November 2020. His LinkedIn profile says uh, that his latest, quote, latest achievement is having built a brand, a brand new all-star AAA action-adventure development team for the PlayStation. Based in San Diego and utilizing proprietary engine technology, this team was assembled to expand upon existing franchises and craft all new stories for the next generation of gamers. So it's been rumored for a while that this that Sony has been working on with one of their third-party studios, not Naughty Dog, some other third-party studio that they've been working on in another Uncharted game. And that's kind of supported by the action-adventure language that they used up top. And also that they the same profile mentions that whoever they hire, or there was a job posting, excuse me, separate posting that said that the person they're looking for will work on, quote, the next chapter of cinematic storytelling. Okay, so that was a lot of uh, um, rambling to get through that. But Jackson, what do you think about all this? I think it's fascinating. Um, a really good find by sleuths out there to try to figure out what's coming next. I would not be shocked if Naughty Dog wanted to hand off um, Uncharted to another studio. Um, they've just been making these games forever. They've also got The Last of Us. But yeah, like charting into, not to be punny or anything, but charting into Uncharted Grounds <laughs> yeah. with a different kind of game makes sense for Naughty Dog at this stage. Um, so yeah, this is just really exciting for me. Nothing really specific. Yeah, I have, uh, I would not be, I, w- I don't want to say I have no doubt, but I would not be shocked at all or surprised if, uh, yeah, Naughty Dog, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like, they moved on from, you know, Crash Bandicoot, then Jack, and they've always been kind of that studio that wants to take on the next bigger challenge, and uh, I, I would be not be surprised if that's what they're doing, and then Sony probably just knows they've got a cash cow in Uncharted, so they want to <laughs> keep that uh, alive. Yeah, they, I don't know if you saw the NDP charts for last year, but The Last of Us, yeah, it sold really well. Yeah, yeah, so uh, it will be very interesting to keep an eye on this and uh see maybe this summer uh maybe we'll get an announcement from uh whatever the studio ends up being called and we'll get to see what they're working on yeah i would love to see that yeah so uh we uh, are going to move on to uh, another uh game that we have talked about a little bit on this podcast i think when we just got started with preloaded we were mentioning this game um but if you haven't heard of a game called atomic heart you should definitely look it up. Uh, this is a game that's been in development for quite some time, uh, and there was a new trailer that dropped this week for it. Uh, and so this is a uh, first-person shooter that looks heavily inspired by games like Bioshock, and there's even some kind of Fallout inspirations in there. Uh, but it looks incredible, and they released a new trailer that features ray tracing and this looks even more incredible than what we've seen before, at least for the minute and a half that they showed. It looks really good. Uh, did you get a chance to see this, Jackson? I did. And actually, the way that I was exposed uh, was through uh, Doom's uh, composer, who was like a former composer. There was a bunch of um, drama about that, but that's another story. Mick Gordon posted the trailer to his Twitter, which leads me to believe that he's working on the project. That would just make sense. Um, so sounds like Mick Gordon is composing music for Atomic Heart, which is another reason to be excited for the game. I mean, it's just so bizarre, so weird, but 
they've got this genius composer making music for it just gets me more excited. Yeah, yeah, and to give everyone kind of a primer, I think this game is take it takes place in some alternate Soviet Union future where maybe the Soviet Union kind of like won the Cold War or some, something like that. Anyways, there are all these robots uh, and sort of bio, I don't know what you would call them. Like I wanted to use the word biomutant, even though it's the name of a game, but these <laughs> these people, yeah, that, yeah it, looks, it just looks bizarre. Uh, you kind of got to see it to, to get the gist of it. Right. Yeah. I think um, if, if I put the trailer in here, hopefully people will get a good gist yeah. of what, what they're uh, looking at. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing was when I first turned it, uh, started watching the trailer, I was usually like women's hair is what gets all the attention in games, like the flowy hair or maybe the Witcher with like Geralt's hair. Right. But the guy's hair that's like super neatly combed, you could definitely see the ray tracing going on. Like with the way the light hit his hair, I was like, that's some of the best looking hair I've ever seen on a dude in a video game. <laughs> We are so weird just as a community. It's like yeah. cool hair blows our mind. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, yeah, Atomic Heart, go check it out. Uh, I really hope this game uh, uh, comes along and eventually comes out. Uh, it seems like they've been working on it forever. So uh, we want to uh, move on to talk about a bit more of a uh, uh, more family-friendly game. We'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, we finally got a reveal from Nintendo. I know we don't really cover Nintendo a ton on this channel, but when it's a Mario, a main mainline Mario game, uh, it's a big deal. So Super Mario 3D World is coming out in uh, February, I believe. I think it's February. Uh, and we haven't really heard anything about this add-on that they're putting into this game called Bowser, Bowser's Fury, but we finally got a uh, full reveal of what that is. So this is a self-contained adventure that is being sold along with Super Mario 3D World, and it looks far more open than the levels from uh, 3D World, which resembles more uh, kind of like a 2D, 2.5D, 2.5D uh, format. This is like fully, completely open. Uh, so that's cool, at least to me. I'm I'm excited about that. And you have to collect coins, kind of similar to the uh, the moons in Mario Odyssey. And as you do, you're helped by Bowser Jr. One of the interesting things about this is uh, you can actually, well, for one, Bowser Jr. is usually, you know, one of your rivals or villains that you're fighting against, but he's actually helping you in this. And you can play co-op in this mode where one of your friends takes control of Bowser Jr. Not sure exactly what your friend will be doing, but that's interesting. And uh, then every so often, Fury Bowser will appear. He gets He gets really big, really massive, and... Um, that is becomes your focus. You have to take him down as he like rains meteors down on the land, and um, you have to transform into this giant cat Mario in order to take him on. So that's kind of the gist of this. Uh, I know you're not the biggest Nintendo player, uh, <laughs> Jackson, um, but uh, I, I don't know how you feel about Mario games. Do you pick them up usually, or uh, do you do you pass them by? Oh yeah, um, Super Mario Odyssey. I really enjoyed. Um, I think I, I typically am one to look at reviews before I grab a, a Super Mario game. But um, when it's something that really like sells a console, typically, that's when I hop in and check it out. Um, but it's it's cool to see the Switch library expand. Switch is just killing it. And uh, I think this is going to help push it further. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, it, it's it still would be nice to see like whatever the next new game that Nintendo is working on is going to be. But I am excited that this is getting a remake. I, I skipped this on the Wii U, even though I have a Wii U. I didn't play this, so uh, I, I, w I am planning on picking this up, and this uh, this add-on sounds exciting to me. Awesome. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. So now we are going to move on to our final news story of the week, 
and Jackson, I'm going to uh, kick this over to you. We're both pretty familiar with this whole situation, but uh, just mainly since I've been um, just jabbing or whatever the word gabbing away, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. You're doing great, Josh. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So I'll uh, yeah, I'll dive in here. Jason Schreier, who is pretty much the I would call him investigative reporter extraordinaire of this entire industry. Um, one of the biggest names posted a huge article, uh, like Josh said, pretty much like right after we posted our last episode. So we kind of missed the news cycle, but this is still a developing story. It's up on Bloomberg. And I just wanted to hit on the highlights of what this story kind of reveals. Um, but then we're going to dive more into this topic in our deep dive. But essentially, we have a ton of sources from inside CDPR confirming a lot of our suspicions. The game wasn't ready. Um, it was far too ambitious. And a lot of people within CDPR or a, a good representative portion um, knew that there were issues with the game. A lot of those people can't make decisions um, like delaying the game. That's a, you know up to the higher ups. But uh, still, knowing that there was a decent chunk of people that knew there, there was something wrong really paints a picture about this situation. Um, gives us, you know, sheds more light on pretty much the biggest gaming story uh, of 2020. And it's starting to, you know, seep into 2021. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, crunch, the vision for the game changed. Uh, there's a big ego issue internally. A lot of stuff was going on, and Jason Schreier lays it all out in this article. Yeah, yeah. It was really uh, interesting to to read some of the details that he was able to uncover. Um, you know, like one of the things that I found interesting was that they apparently, you know, it sounded from the article that they are kind of looking at Rockstar and what Rockstar has done with GTA Five and Red Dead Redemption as examples, or at least the industry does. But one thing that I found interesting is that, you know, CDPR staffed up to over 500 people and which sounds big, uh, but for one, it didn't sound like they handled that growth very well. Uh, and that kind of hampered their team, but you know, Rockstar's games, GTA and, uh, Red Dead, especially GTA, I think had multiple studios working on it and the team totaled out to over thousands of people. So um, this is still a small team with ambitions that maybe were outsized for them. I think so. Yeah. And, and when you specifically say, oh, we're going to make an experience on the level of a rock star game, but then you don't staff up to meet um, the quality bar that you're setting for yourself. I mean, obviously, you're going to run into issues, especially if you rush the project out like it sounds like they did. Yeah, and and the other thing that, you know, Jason Schreier highlighted this even in his tweet that he tweeted out when he uh, posted this story was that it seemed like there's this mentality at, at CDPR that, oh, we, we made The Witcher 3 and we pulled that off. So they just kind of assumed that, you know, at least the developers, that this would just work out, that they could pull this one off. But it does sound like uh, Cyberpunk was a more ambitious project and as a result, you know, they just couldn't, they couldn't pull it off. Also worth noting is that it was revealed in this, and I think this was known before, but they didn't start development in earnest on this game on Cyberpunk until 2016, even though the game was revealed back, I think in 2012. Right. And that, that's a huge problem. I mean, you had, um, the, the CDPR, I believe CEO, the guy who's been making all of the 
like Marcin Iwinski, I want to say is his name. Um, he's there, there's specific footage of him giving a detailed uh, presentation of what they wanted Cyberpunk to be in 2012. Hmm. And think about you know they were still very deep in. I mean, not very, not still very deep. They were probably just starting very deep development on The Witcher Three in 2012. Because yeah. that game came out in 2015. And so <laughs> they were kind of count, you know, like hatching their chickens before they roosted. Uh, I mean, it just seems very weird that they didn't start developing until 2016. Yeah. And so before we get into the, the deep dive discussion that will follow this, I just want to cover a few other things that were covered in the story. Um, so we have uh, uh, everything straight here. So, um, you know, as Jackson mentioned, Crunch was definitely a, a part of this. There was someone at, uh, a, a former audio programmer of CDPR uh, who was quoted as saying that he would work 13 hours a day, five days a week, and that, uh, you know, quote, I have some friends who lost their families because of these sort of shenanigans. So that's pretty ugly. And then, um, you know, the vision for the game changed in 2016 when the development started. Uh, so, you know, a huge shift there that probably threw a lot of people for a loop. At least that's kind of the assumption I took when I read that. And then, um, like you said, Jackson, ego played a big factor. That And that's something that I really picked up on when I read, when I watched their response or their, their initial apology. And then also there was a response posted to this article. And when I read that and when I watch the video, it still seems like there just is some pride going on with these people at really high up in the chain at, at CDPR. But that might just be me. Uh, yeah, I pick up on that too. I, th- I think that gamers in general um, are are pretty uh, in tune with with how devs speak and how they position themselves, and I think we can all kind of tell. It's like, eh, they're not really owning up to this as much as they could. Yeah, and in in that opening or that that apology, really seemed like they uh, shifted blame from, you know, the initially the, I, I can't remember if that was Adam Badowski who gave that statement or if it was um, the other guy. I think it was the other guy. I can't remember his name. Um, who gave the apology. But anyway, he really opened up by saying, you know, I'm going to take responsibility here. But then halfway through the video, he started talking about how they didn't see the problems that appeared after launch, which really what he was doing there was, at least to me, shifting the blame to their QA. It's like, are you saying QA didn't catch this? I think that's a load of crap, if you ask me. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, are seen through that. Uh, yeah, I just looked it up. It's it's Marcin Iwinski. I, I'm yeah. sure I'm saying that wrong, Thank but um, he's the one who did the apology. And I'm I'm with you. Uh, part of me thinks that he sort of took the blame when he said, you know, us higher ups signed off on the project, and then he went back and said, oh well, we didn't find anything. So. It was it was a messy message, and usually those messages are supposed to be very focused, and this one just wasn't. Yeah, yep, I agree. So anyway, that kind of, well, hopefully that definitely covers the, um, you know, what has unfolded since last week when we recorded this. And uh, moving on, we're going to now get into our deep dive discussion, which is right on topic. Uh, it, it definitely has to do with this. Uh, and it is actually, um, we, we got the idea to do this for our deep dive when we read a question that we got in our email by uh, from Mitmap, who I, I think, Mitmap, you had our question of the week last week in our, our mailbag, so you're on a roll here. Um, <laughs> they did. They are. Yeah. So thank you for the question. Again, if you want to write into Preloaded, it's preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. 
But Mitmap writes, uh, and and I I do want to reiterate that one of the things that came, one of the details that came out as a result of this story, and Jackson, I think you touched on this, but the the Jason Schreier said that the he used the word fake when referring to the E3 gameplay demo, which I think uh, is definitely triggered a lot of people. Like, oh, it was fake, um, and. Mitmap writes in regarding that. He says, what does it mean for a gameplay trailer slash preview to be faked? I don't think they're always intentionally misleading. Instead, I see them as a statement of what systems and features are currently in the game, but could be removed if they don't scale properly, break or break when it all comes together, or if they can't be polished to an acceptable level in time slash budget. They aren't the full game, hence the term, quote, vertical scale. A horizontal slice would be more like a demo, which would release closer to the end of the development, thus providing a more accurate feature set. Early access is said to be the answer, but sometimes games don't get that second wind when they hit 1.0. So thank you, Mitmap, for the very uh, uh, thorough and well-thought-out question. There's a ton in there that we can dig into, but kind of the question that this led um, me to ask is, are games kind of pushing the limits of ethically marketing their games? You know, is it is it okay that this... Um, demo was not representative of the final game? Is that just the way games work? Or was that, uh, to use the word Mitmap did, is that misleading? Is that unethical? And there, there are a host of other uh, things that we could talk about in terms of how companies have lately especially been marketing their games. So what do you think, Jackson? I mean, is, do you have any anything to share off the top of your head here? Sure, yes. Um, I think it's a more complicated question than a lot of people paint it to be. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because I try to think of it from their perspective, from the publisher's perspective. Um, because I think if you think of it from a consumer's perspective, it's very clear cut. It's you should only show me what I'm paying for. Um, and it doesn't matter how far it is in the future. It really doesn't. Um, and we've seen many games run into this issue. Um, Watch Dogs is the the earliest example, at least in my head, of a big high-profile game um, showing a version of the game that just did not make it um, to launch, that was absolutely dialed back. Um, so to kind of circle back to the central question here, um, I think games have been pushing the limits of ethical marketing um, for years now. And and we see them, you know, publishers mess up and then they kind of uh, correct. They correct themselves because of backlash. And it's important that we are very vocal when, you know, people mess up like this. Um, but then they kind of learn the lesson and then they come back and they do it again. It's like um, the definition definition of insanity to me. Um, the fact that companies still think that they can uh, make a fake demo. And uh, feel free to interrupt me here, Josh, but in terms of fake demos, um, it really is a matter of, and especially with regards to what MipMap suggested here about, you know, the vertical slices are a statement of what systems and features are currently in the game. I don't think that's necessarily always the case. If you look at Cyberpunk's demo very early on where it looked like the city was more dense, this is probably what was happening. Some programmer just said, just made, you know, NPCs walk across the screen one time. Mm -hmm. That is way different than a dynamic system of people walking back and forth and having day-night cycles. And you see what I mean? So that, that's like a very small example 
of how you're able to fake a demo. You can just make something that looks good for 30 seconds and there's no guarantee that's going to be great for 100 hours. Yeah, and I actually don't have a problem with a demo being faked in that way. What I have a problem with is that it wasn't representative of what we got in the final product. And I like if if they had, you know, just to save time, they're making this demo and they know that in the final product there's going to be like 12 NPCs on the screen at a time, which honestly that's kind of like maybe the max that I've seen in Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> but instead of they don't have the 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 system in place that's going to, you know, that is going to allow these characters to move around on their own and they have to just guide them across uh you know manually. I'm fine with that as long as it is representative of what we get to see. What I have what I think is what you know somewhat unethical in this case is that what the product that they gave us was so drastically um, less than what we saw in the demo. And and I think you're seeing the repercussions of that uh, in the lawsuits that are being filed against CDPR right now. You know, usually we don't see lawsuits being filed after the release of a game, but I think this was such a drastic example that people said, yo, like, if you're going to show a game that looks this great and then deliver a game, at least on base consoles, that looks so terrible that it gets pulled from a store, then there is a serious problem there. So, um, if but if if... If a, a company fakes a demo and the, it's representative of what we get in the end, fine. You know, they got to show us what we're going to be getting if they want to market their game so early. Right. Uh, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I think where it becomes a problem is, um, you know, Josh and I don't make games, but we certainly pay enough attention and we've gotten access behind the scenes of games um, before launch. Games are so iterative and they're all, every single one of them are little miracles um that it's crazy that these things manage to come together it truly is um yeah i i think that it's really hard for cdpr to put out a vertical slice a couple of years ago and then um somehow know that two years in the future that the tech has changed or the tech will still will evolve to a place where their fake the thing that they made allows them to put that in the game that turnover isn't going to affect things, that major shifts in the project are not going to affect things. That's why like my biggest tech takeaways for this whole thing are, if you're a dev or a publisher out there, don't list a bunch of features in your game before your game is feature complete. Don't, yeah. I, and I actually do have an issue with creating fake versions of what you think, what you're shooting for, like several years in the future. I just think that the medium is too, um, it's too iterative and it, it really does set you up even if you have the best intentions um, for what appears to be deceiving, even though that was just not the intention at all. And it, furthermore, if you make big changes, like it feels like CDPR did. I mean, if you look at that article, um, it, it does say that when the game's director came on board, his name is Adam Bukowski, they decided to do major story revisions, major gameplay revisions, yeah. and even change the game from third person to first person. If you do that, you got to announce that stuff. Yeah. You, like you really do. You have to let people know this is what our game is now. If you don't do that, then you're setting yourself up for what we're what's happening here. Yeah, and um that brings up an interesting point. This I this uh notion that um Cyberpunk was in development for 8 years. That was my perception for a very long time up until just recently. Right. And so stuff like that not announcing that yeah, we have a major shift in 
um, development. Uh, that would have maybe helped set some of the expectations for this game. While I still think that they shouldn't have released it regardless when they did. But, um, you know, I, when I first saw how this game looked, I was like, this is this is a game that's been in development for eight years. What's going on here? So, um, yeah, not not much communication there, even though funny, ironically, even uh, CDPR is known for having such transparent uh, communication. But maybe that was just smoke and mirrors. Right. I think they were caught, um, <clears throat> as the gross uh, phrase goes, sniffing their own butts in this situation. <laughs> yeah. They really were. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very interesting uh, how things have unfolded. It's uh, really unfortunate. Um, but just this question of, you know, I guess ethically marketing game, there's plenty of other instances that we can look at that um, I think it's important to note that this is definitely subjective. Like some, I don't, you know, I, I do have a problem with how things unfolded with cyberpunk, but another example that comes to mind that I had no problem with, but a lot of people did was Spider-Man 2018 when that came out and everybody made a big deal about the puddles. Like, Oh look, the puddles don't look as good as in the game as they did in the demo. I'm like, who cares? You know, that doesn't really right. affect the gameplay experience. I guess that's whereas the stuff we saw in cyberpunk to me anyway, does affect the gameplay experience. Um, that's a great example, Josh. Um, and <laughs> that just made me realize, I wonder if on PS five with the ray tracing features enabled, if those puddles are there, like that was <laughs> something that they intended, um, to do, but just tech was not there yet. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting to see that. That's a great point though. Like that's not a critical thing that makes you think that what they showed was misleading just that yeah they scaled it back that's the kind of iteration that i think people are okay with um not what we saw uh with cdpr um and kind of circling back to what mipmap said about you know gameplay trailers and previews being faked i i start to wonder and i'd be curious to know what you think josh do you prefer CG trailers early on, like several years before a game? I know people just complain endlessly about CG trailers and they just want to see gameplay. But then we run into situations like this where a team, they have a vision, they have something in mind, they want to show it. They spend a couple months building up this thing like they did for Cyberpunk, but then it just doesn't turn out to deliver when the game actually comes out. Like, what is the best move there? Yeah, I think if the studio or publisher chooses to unveil a game that far ahead of time then yes like definitely show cg don't show gameplay with how fast technology moves and um how much can change in development yeah i think it's smart i think and you know a year ago i might not have given this answer but based on what we've seen unfold with cyberpunk i think that yeah showing gameplay this early is probably not the best way to go um so that's again if a studio or a publisher chooses to unveil a game that early I personally would like to see a trend towards unveiling games far later in the marketing cycle, especially these big IPs that may not, I mean, what do I know about marketing a game, but that I think may not need all that extra hype. You know, it's like with Avengers, if you would announce an Avengers game four months before it was released, um, that may be a bad example because of the movies and whatnot, but let's just look at Fallout 4, you know, the way they did that one. Um, And it worked out great. Um, I don't know the sales figures for that game, but I have a feeling it sold pretty well. And um, and then you have games like The Elder Scrolls by the same uh, studio that got unveiled like way early. We're probably not going to see that game, but um, 
feel like I'm not making my point here. I would just like to see the games unveiled much later in the marketing cycle so we don't have to um, adjust our expectations or um, build up in our heads what this game is going to be before we actually see it. I feel like we can just get disappointed. For sure. Uh, you couldn't see me, but I was furiously nodding my head um, at nice. everything you were saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fallout 4, um, man, perfect example. That's that's what I always think of. If if yeah, companies can realize, look, we can sell like twelve million copies. I, I, there is a sales figure for how well Fallout Four sold in the first twenty four hours, and it's insane. And it, it paints a small picture about total total sales, but like they really did nail that in every single facet. And I don't think that because that was six years ago that somehow that can't be done now. Like, like there really is no excuse. Um, and I think that when you reveal your game early, you open yourself up for a lot of uh, mistakes that you could make along the way. So, um, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Yeah, so I do wonder, yeah, you know, bringing it back to this idea of, like, um, doing the right thing or marketing your game in a way that's ethical. I don't. There's certainly ways to do do a good job of uh, you know revealing uh, having a long marketing cycle. It's not like doing that um, automatically puts you in this kind of uh, ambiguous moral territory. However, I think that you do open yourself up to um, potential disappointment uh, or potentially disappointing players. Yeah, if you do um, build up hype the way, especially the way CDPR did, they just constantly built that hype. But uh, um, there are a lot of other issues, I think, to talk about when it comes to marketing games. You know, over the summer, we saw a lot of interesting stuff happen with uh, two games in particular, Avengers and The Last of Us. Uh, with The Avengers, it was, and if you have other examples, Jackson, uh, definitely chime in. But with The Avengers, sure. we got to see where they marketed, uh, you know, it came to mind when they marketed this uh, these extra characters that they were going to have as free I mean, they were very clear that these are free characters. And then when they got closer to the launch of the game, they revealed that there were going to be these kind of Battle Pass-esque microtransactions attached to them. You do get the character for free, no doubt. But in order to get all of the related content, you have to you have to make a purchase. So right. I think, uh, you know, baiting and switching is something that we do see. And is that okay? Right. Um, it's uh, certainly a matter of like murky, murky lines here. They're trying to blur the lines as much as possible. Um, and bait and switch is a perfect way of describing exactly what happened with Avengers. That didn't make me feel about good about a game that I already wasn't feeling great about. Yeah. And the Spider-Man, you know, situation there that they didn't announce. And there are probably contracts galore and, you know, NDAs and all that where people couldn't mention uh, even, you know, the highest up people at a company couldn't mention that Spider-Man was going to be exclusive until a certain date. But the fact that that was exclusive, uh, you know, kind of upset a lot of people. And I feel like now that I'm bringing this up, it's just like game developers and publishers, they're in a very difficult spot. <laughs> you know, it's, um, right. Sure. Some of these practices might come, might rub people the wrong way. And some people might even call them unethical, but it's like, what are they supposed to do? I really don't have a good answer in the, in the case of like the the exclusivity and and even the microtransactions because you know people are gonna have a negative reaction when they see that yeah you actually do have to purchase things to get all the content so they want right. to they want to make people happy when they make these announcements but if they include the um, microtransactions as part of it people will be upset so it's kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't situation. 
It is. And um, I think a lot of people aren't up for the realities of game development in the modern day, which is such that microtransactions are a reality, no matter how much we don't like them. Um, the only way to fight the man in that respect is to not buy them and be uh, vocal about your dislike, which that is what plenty of people are doing. Um, and I salute you for doing that as long as you're not threatening anyone. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah it's, it, it is hard, I think. But to answer your hypothetical, what can they do? Is there a right or wrong? I think it is. Wait as long as possible to show your game and then... Yeah, wait until you've ironed out your microtransaction situation. Clearly, Square um, did not with the Avengers, and or, or they intentionally deceived people, which is an even you know uh, more serious charge. Yeah. So. Yep. So the the last thing I just want to bring up here before making one final point is the there is an example that I I do have an issue with, and that's some games particularly from Activision, I can remember. I know that with the Crash Bandicoot, the CTR, Crash Team Racing, this happened. And then there was another game that did it, and it's not coming to mind, but that introduced microtransactions after launch. Um, I know this has happened on a number of games where they release the game without microtransactions, and then in a, in a post-launch patch, they include them. And I think, and if they don't make it clear that that's going to be part of the game up front, that really rubs me the wrong way. Um, so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yubi actually just did that with Valhalla. They added an XP booster a month after the game came out and like shadow dropped it. That game already had some MTX, but the XP booster got a lot of negative press for being in the in Odyssey on launch. They really just pulled a a magic trick basically and, and put it in afterwards, but a lot of people didn't fall for it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after looking at all of this, the one thing that I kind of uh, take comfort in uh, is that I think that the market will speak loudly enough that eventually we will reach an equilibrium. Now, there'll be new issues that pop up that we haven't even thought of. But in terms of the stuff that we've talked about, I do think that, you know, the whole industry is going to learn from what happened with cyberpunk and the whole industry is going to learn what's happened with, you know, games as a service and how those have been rolled out really sloppily and um, eventually, you know, games like Battlefront is another one that Battlefront 2 that maybe was initially marketed in a way that wasn't representative of the final product and the market spoke, you know, everybody, there was a, a huge backlash and EA was listening, thankfully, and they've apparently fixed that game. So I think that we'll see a lot of um, reactions from consumers and then we'll see a reaction to the reaction from developers and publishers who are listening and that is going to do it for our deep dive discussion this week. We are now going to take our second break. And when we get back, we are going to talk about what we have been playing. We'll see you in just a minute. And we're back. We are now going to talk about what we've been playing. So, Jackson, what have you spent? Uh, I think actually I know what you've been playing, but take <laughs> it away. Yeah, so even though I haven't gotten to play a ton yet, um, Hitman three is what I've been playing. Um, most of the yeah past week, I've been making a ton of content and not playing a ton of games, but when I have been playing, yeah, Hitman three is really just, uh, hitting every single expectation that I've had, uh, for it. Just continuing what I love from the first two Hitman games, refining that, but also pushing that story forward that like a lot of people have bagged on Hitman's story, but 
playing back through one and two, I'm very interested to see how it ends up. Like that's one of the main things that I'm um, looking forward to with the new game. So that's what I've been playing. Nice. So one question I have for you on that is, so it might surprise some people, but I actually have not finished um, the first Hitman. Did you, do you think that, would you recommend I do that before getting into Hitman three? I would say so. Um, only if story is very important to you. Um, you actually really don't even need to see. Um, the, I mean, actually, let me let me take that back. You don't have to play the levels to get the story. Like, there's no story delivered within the levels. Like, the cutscenes and all of that information happens in between the levels. So, if you want to catch up on the story, you don't have to play. Yeah. Um, you can just watch those cutscenes, and they're not very long, and be up to speed on everything you need to know. Okay. Yeah, that's that's very nice to know. Actually, I'm I'm relieved by that. So cool. <laughs> well, uh, I've been playing uh, more Mortal Kombat 11. Been playing a lot of that actually, and uh, it's definitely holding my interest. I'm not sure it's going to be able to uh, keep me interested with uh, Hitman coming out and then the medium, but I'm definitely pleased that that has been a lot of fun. I even have another fighting game on my queue to play uh, Tekken Seven. I'm going to give that a shot. So this this adventure into fighting games is turning into something I'm enjoying. And then uh, the other game I've been playing is Dishonored. Um, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about how those were kind of a blind spot for me and Arcane in general. And I'm also playing that just because I think Deathloop is a game I'm going to want to cover on my channel. And I'm having a blast. Uh, just really great stealth in that game and really great freedom that the levels, not quite as much as you get in Hitman, but um, similarly, each of those levels is really built for you to take them on in multiple different ways. And uh, if I didn't have other stuff to play, I would be excited to go back and play each of the levels in Dishonored over again to try and get those uh, like uh, non-lethal runs. Awesome. Yeah. So did you decide to go, I think it's chaos is what they call it. Did you go like low chaos or high chaos? That's funny. I'm not. Um, so it's high, it's high chaos where you kill more people and low chaos. <laughs> yes. where, yeah. So I'm low chaos. I'm trying okay, to go gotcha. as stealthy as possible. Uh, cool. But I'm 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 finding it very challenging to go in my my first playthrough to go through without alerting or killing anybody. It is very difficult. Um, yeah. I, I think you have to master a grasp of mechanics, but also AI behavior in that game. Yeah, and the layouts of the levels. So yes, yeah, but that too. For however old that game is, it is it is excellent. Yeah, it's a really good one. I really want to go back and replay before Deathloop as well. Yep. Cool. So. Uh, with that, we're moving on to our mailbag. We already uh, got to a question from Mitmap, but we also got a question from uh, another one of our uh, regular listeners, Brock, once again. So thank you very much, Brock. Again, if you want to have your question read on our show, you can write into preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And Brock writes this week, I realize there are several AAA games that have come out that I really liked, but for some reason have never finished. For me, it's two huge games, Horizon Zero Dawn and The Witcher 3. I love them both and put over 30 hours into each, but I never actually finished either one of them. What are some AAA games that you guys really enjoyed but never actually finished? So I've thought of two. Um, actually, I was the same as you, Brock, for a while with The Witcher 3. It took me a couple of years to actually finish The Witcher 3 because it was so overwhelming. But um, for me, games I still haven't finished, uh, Batman Arkham Knight. Never finished that game. Um, for some reason, it just didn't grab me enough to finish it. And then... Uh, Middle Earth Shadow of War, the sequel to Shadow of Mordor, I also have not finished. Uh, something about, yeah, just that game not pulling me in enough to finish it. 
just didn't get to it. And so for me, I already mentioned one. Uh, it might surprise people because I talk about how much I love these games, but the original Hitman in 20, or I should say Hitman 2016, I did not finish because I spent so much time on the initial two levels. I, I think I spent like 30 hours, maybe 20 on the first level and then 10 on the second. And I, I had gotten my fill, but I loved the time that I spent with it. So now going back to Hitman 3, I'm uh, wondering, as I asked earlier, should I should I replay those levels? And then other than that, you know, there are a lot of games that I didn't necessarily love, but I, I liked enough to start and just other stuff came up uh, and I wasn't able to finish them. And that always kind of bugs me. It's I, me being <laughs> a completionist. It, it bothers me to have games that I haven't finished. One that comes to mind is Resident Evil 7. I recently restarted that, played it for the second time and didn't finish it. Um, <laughs> and uh, one other one that I started at the beginning of last year was the original Dark Souls, Dark Souls Remastered. And I got about halfway through and just wasn't feeling it as much as Sekiro or Bloodborne. And I didn't finish it, but that's that's one that's it's going to bother me if I never do finish it. And I have a feeling I won't. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always hard. And the whole starting and restarting thing, I probably played The Witcher 3 the first 10 hours about three or four times before I finally did it. It's just really hard to... Uh, pick up after you haven't touched it yep yeah so that is going to do it for this week uh thank you everyone for listening again if you want to have your question read write into preloadedpodcast at gmail.com and if you're listening on any of the audio platforms don't forget to leave us a review please if you're enjoying the show we'd really appreciate it uh and jackson before we uh sign off did you want to plug anything on your channel uh, yes, I just uploaded today uh, a Hitman 3 starter guide, just a bunch of general tips to give you a head start. And these things really apply to uh, the first two games as well. So if you're hopping into the franchise for the first time, I think it's a great video for you. Awesome. I may be checking that out. <laughs> um, and on my channel, I can now tease my next project. It is uh, I'm doing a big video on 25 exclusives that are going to release for PlayStation consoles. We're talking both PS4 and PS5 uh, in the future. So if that's something that you're interested in, uh, stay tuned for that. And I might even do an Xbox version of that if that video performs well. So keep an eye out. I'm hoping to post it within the next week or so. So uh, that should be interesting if you are a PlayStation gamer. And with that, uh, where can people find you, Jackson? I'm at JV on YT on Twitter and JV.YT on Instagram. Nice. And I am at Quest Mode Games on both Twitter and Instagram. And with that, we will see everyone next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>